Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 108 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk to Chris Gordon about the attitude of gratitude. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome to episode 108 so we're ryan and letty we have a weekly running podcast where we bring you experts on training nutrition mental stuff and also inspirational stories race recaps and all that and hello co-star or co-host Ryan. <laughs> I like co-star better. But hello, Letty and runners. How's it going? Pretty good. You look like you're doing pretty well. You look like you got a run in after work and uh, your mood has been elevated. So what? how does someone look like they got a run? Does that mean they're sweaty and nasty and smelly? <laughs> no, you're just not wearing scrubs. Ah. And you, well, I guess you had a little bit of a happy face, a little bit flushed. A little bit of red. Looks good. Exercise looks good on people. I did run. Yeah, it was good. So along those lines, you were looking up some articles about the benefits of running, right? But yeah, I just browsed through Runner's World online and I found an article that I thought would be interesting to share with our listeners. So it was talking about what is the best time of the day to exercise. And they found that it may be different for men and women. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. It's a U.S. study published in Frontiers in Physiology, and they found that the benefits of exercising are different. They did a research from Skidmore College in New York, where they looked at 30 men and 26 women who were all active and aged between 25 and 55 over a 12-week period. So in this study, they had people stretching, sprinting, doing resistance and endurance training. Obviously, there was one group that exercised in the morning for an hour and one that did in the evenings. And they found that for women, early morning exercise was most beneficial, and I'm quoting this, when it came to reducing abdominal fat and blood pressure, while evening exercise was more advantageous for women when it came to improving their mood, food intake and upper body strength. Men, on the other hand, were able to improve their upper body strength as effectively whether they exercised in the morning or in the evening. Evening exercise, however, showed greater results for men for improved heart and metabolic health, reduced the risk of conditions such as obesity and diabetes, heart disease, stroke. Evening exercise also had more benefits to men when it came to improving their emotional well-being. So the study says it's unclear why women and men respond differently. However, factors that differentiate the sexes are likely to be hormonal, biological clocks, and sleep-wake cycles. They also say that women may be more sensitive to early morning exercise due to the fact that women are more likely to have 
excessive body fat. So what do you think about that study, Dr. Ryan? And I'm calling him Dr. Ryan because Ryan is actually a physician for reals. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's kind of uh, the differences are always hard to hard to delineate without having some bias one way or another. But I mean, I think it's funny as I said before is like, I like to run more in the evenings. You like to run more in the morning. So maybe part of that mood and stuff correlates with that. That could be. So, I mean, I also think it's it's a, a, a bigger push to get out of the door, although I know I don't have much upper body strength. And in this article, it says evening running could help that. But you know what? Maybe I'll just uh, start doing some strength work. I mean, you could theorize as to why some of that's true. I mean, if you're waking up and doing it in the morning, you may not be eating, in which case you're in a fasting state. So running would likely recruit other energy sources being fat you know not having glycogen glycogen storages in your liver after being you know fasting all night long and then likewise in the evening potentially you are well stored with energy so your body has more of an ability to build as opposed to trying to suffice with the energy supplies that are available yeah i'm just guessing but it's just like You can always theorize. It's kind of fun. Well, I like that. And I also like finding articles like that because, as you know, it's always good to find some kind of inspiration to get out more. I've been kind of in a funk since the Paris Marathon. I didn't like running and now I'm starting to enjoy it a lot more again. And I think it's just that we go through these cycles in our lives where, you know, sometimes we do stuff more, sometimes we do it less. But um, it's, it's, it's always good. So along those lines of running in the morning or evening, it's always good to have motivation and inspirational stories can give motivation. And so that's what we have today, right? Yes, we do. Do you want to uh, tease anyone with the topic or are we going to just go into it? Well, we're going to give you a teaser that this person, and I think you can kind of almost hear it by his voice. He is a motivational speaker by profession. You know what I'm talking about when you hear that voice that... um You could hear it on the radio or on YouTube that has that voice of motivational speaking. So did he like always, was he a motivational speaker before he had his event or is it only afterwards? So he started doing that afterwards because he recognized that the way he dealt with this life-changing um, problem or incident, he came out above. I always feel like there's two ways you can go when something bad happens to you and, um, It's easy to, to, you know, have a million excuses and be in a bad headspace because, I mean, what happened to him really sucked. But then to be able to, on your own, pull yourself out of it and recognize how that works, how it works with your brain and how it can work in all other aspects of life is kind of beautiful. And I think, um, yeah, so that's, I'm, I'm really glad he's sharing that with the rest of the people in his life and in schools and wherever he goes to speak. Like with waking up in the morning and running, usually the easier path is not always the best, especially if you have something major, but it's harder to be motivated and be positive and to move on. But yet at the end, the outcome's better. And likewise with running, it's sometimes hard to get up in the morning and get out and run rather than just lay in bed and sleep. But after you're done doing it, you feel better about it and you're better for it, likely. 
I agree, Ryan. And it's just one more example of how something that we can take from running goes over into other aspects of our lives because there's a lot of things in life that are not easy. And at the time of doing them, it's not fun. But if and when we do complete the task, then ultimately it makes us happier and it somehow pays off. Yeah, obviously not always the case, but sometimes a challenge or a difficulty can lead to a happier state afterwards. Exactly. So are you ready to hear from Chris Gordon? Yes, let's do it. All right. So without any further ado, I'm now going to play my conversation with Chris Gordon. All right. So I'm here with Chris Gordon. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Letty, it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Awesome. So we have been in touch because you have a pretty inspiring and crazy story. And before we go into that, perhaps you can start by telling our listeners who you are, what you do, and then we can kind of start going from there. Certainly. Well, my name is Chris DT Gordon. I am a husband, father, runner, teacher, motivational speaker. We'll get to that in a little bit. A first degree black belt in Taekwondo. And if you are watching the podcast, the video podcast, you can see I'm a huge geek. I have behind me on my right side the Ninja Turtles with Deadpool. And on my left side, one of my favorite pictures of all time a picture of me and Weird Al Yankovic. And I have no qualms with sharing my geekdom with anyone. That's awesome. Well, welcome to us. Um, you know, every runner has some other hobbies and you have a lot of them. You are a lot of things. And that makes this story maybe even a little bit better. So perhaps you can tell us, um, you know, we'll go into what happened to you, how much you had been running and then what happened and how that changed your life. Certainly. So growing up, I ran, but mostly for sport, you know, for training for soccer or track. It wasn't until I moved from Michigan, where I grew up, to Minnesota, where I live now, where I started running for running sake. And it, I fell into it a little bit because I had, I had been hired to teach at an elementary school that was connected with a high school. And I knew that the high school had a, had a cross-country team. So I figured, hey, Maybe I'll work with the team and just get like run with them to get a workout. And the head coach said, well, why don't you get paid for it? Be my assistant coach. So I did. And while helping out the team, I discovered, hey, I really like running just for running. So I started entering races and up until March 18th, 2015, I was a pretty good runner. In fact, the week before was uh, Pi Day for us math geeks. And Pi Day is 314. And on Pi Day, there is a race that's 3.14 3 miles. And I ended up running that in 1929, 19 minutes, 29 seconds, which was a pretty good pace, you know, low six-minute pace. So going into March 18th, I was feeling pretty good, you know, for a 40-year-old husband and father of three. On March 18th, though, everything changed, though at that moment, I didn't realize it. I was helping my wife, Becky, get our kids, Josh, Seth, and Anna ready for school. I teach online. 
Yes, there was teaching online before the pandemic. You don't believe it. And I worked from home, obviously. So I would help Becky get the kids ready for school and then start my day. Well, I was flying our younger son, Seth, to our detached garage, going back and forth. And at the time, he was two years old. So it was a lot easier to do it now or than it is now because he's 10. But I went too far to the right and I scraped the back of my right hand on my our exterior garage wall. I looked at it. And to quote one of my favorite movies of all time, tis but a scratch. It wasn't bleeding, so I didn't worry about it. I put Seth into the car seat. I kissed them all goodbye. And then as they went on their way, I went on my way into the house to wash off my hand and to start my day of online teaching. Three days go by. Now it's Saturday. I wake up and I, and I, I find a lacrosse ball-sized bump on my right elbow. I go to the urgent care clinic because I usually don't wake up like that. And the doctor says that it could be bursitis, which is an inflammation of the bursa sac in our joints. And I should keep an eye on it just in case. Um, however, I kept, as I kept an eye on it, I noticed that that bump started growing and growing and growing until my right arm was three times the size of my left. In comic book parlance, I was the Incredible Hulk in the transformation. But instead of being angry and smashy, I was more sicky and tiredy. My wife found a, a babysitter for the kids and then drove me to the emergency room. They quickly admitted me because, hello, huge right arm. But as they were taking my vitals, they found that not only did I have a giant right arm, I had also gone septic. And sepsis is a reaction that the body has to a foreign agent. And one of the reactions is that it pumps a chemical into the bloodstream to fight off said foreign agent. However, one of the Dow signs of sepsis is that alone can kill you. So I had poison coursing through my veins and a huge right arm. Admittedly, it wasn't the craziest Saturday night I ever experienced, but easily top five. They kept me overnight for observation. And in the morning, that attending doctor came up to my hospital bed and said something I would never forget. She said, Mr. Gordon, this is beyond us. We can do nothing more for you here. Where do you want to go? I almost immediately said Mayo, as in the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Not only was, you know, is it world renowned, it's like the Madonna or Beyonce of hospitals. You just say Mayo, people have an idea what you're talking about. But it's also two hours away from our house and Becky's parents live in Rochester. So I knew that Becky, the kids and Max, the dog would have a place to stay for the, I was sure Letty, two or three days max. This would take to resolve itself because of my vast medical experience. So 
they flew me to Rochester. And that is where they diagnosed me with necrotizing fasciitis, also known as flesh-eating bacteria. And I know that necrotizing fasciitis, or as I'll call it, NF, had, had, has been in TV shows and documentaries. But I'm going to explain short, you know, succinctly what it is. Basically, it's a bacteria or a disease that eats away and infects the skin, muscle, and other tissues in the area. So when I got scraped in my, the back of my right hand, it's, it started uh, coursing through my body until I got to the elbow, and that's where it really started spreading. And that, that's, that's what that ginormous arm thing was. That was all necrotizing fasciitis. All that skin through my arm, shoulder, chest, and back was being eaten and infected. So the first thing doctors had to do was remove all that infected skin and tissue from my body. And they had to make absolutely sure that they were, they removed every part of the bacteria because if even one iota of it remained, the whole process would start again. So they did that after putting me in a five-day coma, mind you. But when they found, when they removed all that skin, they found that the infection had gone farther into my right arm than in most other places, particularly in this area right, right by my wrist. They were certain they would have to amputate. And this is around the time that they figured I had a 30% chance of living. Ironically, I guess not ironically, coincidentally, there was another gentleman who had NF, had his arm amputated and still died a week before. So they know what they're dealing with here and it's nothing to laugh at. So they're ready to remove my right arm not only this, you know, to, to save my life, but the attending, the attending occupational therapist saw that I still had hand function. And when they realized that my hand was still going to be able to work, they concocted a different plan. They extracted a 15 inch by four inch, or for you international listeners, a 40 centimeter by 10 centimeter flap of skin from my left thigh and place it on my right hand and forearm because they needed not only just the skin itself, but the tissues and uh, you know blood vessels to carry blood to my hand. So since this is my thigh on my hand, I call this my thand, copyright pending. But this is where my story now takes the turn similar to the children's book when you give a mouse a cookie because sure my arm was saved but now i had a giant gigantic hole in my left leg that was not going to close by myself and remember i'm a runner so and a soccer player so i have pretty big thighs 
they elect to remove my vastus lateralis, which is the outermost quadricep muscle in your thigh. So they take out that muscle. So I now have a tri instead of a quad. And then install a shoestring type contraption called a Jacob's ladder, which they use, which they put on the inside of the wound. And then they install knobs on either side of the wound on the outside so they could tighten the wound and close the wound over time by tightening those knobs. So if you're a comic book fan, imagine Deadpool on the upper half of my body, or if you're not a comic book fan, a zombie in training, we'll say. On the bottom half, Frankenstein's monster. So they get they figure out how to close the wound in my leg. I still have all those exposed parts on my upper right-hand side of my body, my arm, shoulder, chest, and back, still without skin. So they take a skin graft harvester, or as I like to call it, a cheese slicer on steroids. And they run it up and down my back and my thighs to remove all the, uh, you know, some skin graft samples they can put on my arm, shoulder, chest, and back. All of this happened in five days. Actually, some of the skin grafts happened after that. But most of the life-saving endeavors happen within five days. I wake up and the... My first experience was one of my many hallucinations, which I could spend a whole other podcast talking about. Suffice it to say, I was not in the best of moods, but I did see my brother who shocked me because he lived in Michigan. I found out that uh, when Becky told him what I was dealing with, he found the first plane from Grand Rapids, Michigan, flew to the Twin Cities and then took a shuttle down and spent a week and a half with us, sometimes sleeping overnight to keep it, you know, to find out the latest information on my condition. He calls, he called Becky and Bill, and they come from the house to see me and talk to me for a little bit. And so Jeff, Becky, and Bill leave after a little while. And then I'm left all by myself with my thoughts. And I take in what they say, and I realize that the necrotizing fasciitis, the, the flesh-eating bacteria, is gone from my body. But now I have a different kind of bacteria, Letty. I have personal bacteria. Those negative thoughts that invade our minds when we are faced with a challenging or life-threatening situation. Yeah, I mean, that's so much that you just unpacked here. And I have I have a lot of questions. So let's start with uh, when you were put in a coma, did somebody have a power of attorney to make those decisions? Did you know that you were maybe going to wake up without a limb? How were you feeling? Were you aware of the fact that you were dying? No, those are fantastic questions. Thank you for asking them. Well, uh, I'm going to try to... Uh... I'm trying to answer them as you've asked them. In terms of power of attorney, I trust my wife. I, I know she has the best, you know, intentions for me and my family. So I knew when the doctors were going to give what information the doctors were going to give her, she would go with it. They were going to get me into surgery. I had no idea 
that I might have lost an arm. That was, yeah, I just knew that this thing was huge and I was feeling like crap and they're going to have to take care of it. But I knew that this was a serious issue and it was going to have to take, you know, being taken care of. I, and, uh, but I didn't know that I, you know, I was that close and I know I had, they told me they had, sept, I had sepsis, but I had no idea what that was. And this is before I had a smartphone and I could look it up. We were just dealing with, okay, sepsis. Okay. He's got that. Well, all right. Well, what else is going on? You know, if I had known what necrotizing fasciitis was when I had seen that bump, I might have said, Hey doc, could it be an F? But you know, they had never seen anything like it. And so they're going on their experience Yeah, and you know, it, it is what it is. I, and you know, I, I'm still here. And as we'll explain later, as I'll explain later, you know, I, I'm doing well. So they, they did the best that they could. So then what was it like um, coming home from that? Because I remember reading that you spent a lot of time in the hospital, obviously skin graft infections. And then how did that change your life from there on out? I had questions to which I had no answers. Looking at my body that was wrapped up, my right arm was in a huge yellow cast and covered virtually all of my hand arm arm and shoulder. I'm looking at this, I'm wondering, what am I gonna be able to do physically when I recover, if I fully recover? What was my mindset gonna be like? How was I gonna deal with thing, you know, other traumas or issues that came up going forward? What were my relationships gonna be like with Becky, the kids, other family members and friends? my colleagues, my neighbors, complete strangers. How are we going to deal with this financially? As it turned out, my arm is all is now a million dollar arm because that's, because that's how much it costs to, to fix my arm essentially and save my life. I had all of these questions and no answers. And when I speak, I talk about that where your thoughts go, your mind and body will follow. And that's something we all know, but we hardly put a, uh, put a phrase to it. Because, you know, whenever we think something, if we think, of it, think it long enough, we develop a mindset around it. And then those mindsets, uh, you know, compel us to take action. And at that moment, with all those questions and no answers, I was developing a very negative mindset. And not that I was able to, I was capable of taking any action at that point. I was bedridden. I, you know, I couldn't move out, out of that bed. So it's not like I could, you know, I could do anything horrible, but that mindset was starting to slip. Thankfully though, it didn't have that personal bacteria did not have time to ruminate because during one of her daily visits early in my hospitalization, Becky told me about what people were doing for us 
during my hospitalization. She told me uh, she told me that people were our neighbors were snow blowing our walkways and our driveways. People were stopping by the house to check up on it, uh, collecting our mail for us. Uh, in Rochester, we had a number of friends, including some of my uh, online teaching colleagues who stopped by the house to not only check up on the family, but also give toys to the kids and actually give some clothing and play with the kids. Because remember how I said that they thought it would take two or three days to resolve itself? Becky, the kids, and Max, the dog, were at Bill and Dee's house for two weeks. And they had barely anything of their own. So people were stopping by the house, playing with the kids. Like I mentioned, my brother, Jeff, as soon as Becky told him what I was dealing with, he flew from Michigan to Minnesota and stayed a week and a half with them to make sure, you know, that the, the family was taken care of. And he and Becky, Becky told me later on, had some very poignant and heartbreaking moments because as I said before, I was pretty close to death and they, they were trying to figure out what to do. And he was there for that. Uh, former high school uh, classmate of Becky's started a GoFundMe account to help to help offset some costs that we had, had incurred or some lost wages that I had incurred because I ran out of sick days. I ended up missing an entire a quarter of school because of my hospitalization. And so Becky was telling me all of these things people were doing for us, for, ranging from prayers to donating thousands of dollars. When all of those things went through my ears, when I was hearing all this, that personal bacteria washed away. And I was left with what I now call the attitude of gratitude. I didn't call it then. I didn't call it that then, but I knew something had changed because I was now not worried about what was my body going to be able to do if I fully recovered, what my mindset was going to be like, because I knew I had so much to be thankful for. And then that's actually the first question I asked myself, what do I have to be thankful for? But then I went a little deeper. I thought, well, those are all great. You know, those big things are awesome. But what about those little things? What about those parts of our lives that we may seem, may, may seem insignificant to us, but actually bring us that daily dose of joy? And then I thought of, well, I also appreciate how the sun never shined in my eyes when it was, you know, during the daytime. And I know that sounds very random. But when you are confined to a single space for a long period of time, I mean, I was bedridden for weeks at one point. The fact that I didn't have to ask someone ask someone to close the shade during the day was something I really appreciated because I had to depend on them for everything else practically. And then even today, I think about things I'm thankful for. Like, for example... I appreciate this beat up old mouse that's held, held together by duct tape and which is actually symbolic of me, you know, beat up and held together by foreign objects, but still works well. And then I'm, I'm thankful for my right armpit 
because my right armpit is covered in skin grafts, which means it's they're non-porous. Skin grafts don't sweat, which means I only have to buy a stick of deodorant every six months. <laughs> In fact, I did that this morning. I bought my six-month deodorant today because the one, the last one finally ran out. And it's I found that the more I can find value and I can appreciate things that I already have in my life, the richer my life is. It doesn't matter what's in my bank account. It matters what value I put in the things I already have. And so that greatly uh, increased my gratitude and my positivity. And then the next question I asked for was, I asked myself was, who am I thankful for? Who, you know, how can I acknowledge the appreciated? And then, of course, those big groups pop in the mind, our family, our friends, people who share our faith, our neighbors, our coworkers. But I thought of the medical staff, especially the nurses, because yes, they were top notch. They're at the Mayo Clinic, but the nurses especially showed me a kindness and a friendship that I was not expecting. And in fact, one of them actually uh, bought me a movie. Uh, when you are in the hospital for a long period of time, they have this poster called the getting to know you poster. And this might surprise you, but instead of putting a Star Wars, you know, they had one question was favorite movie. Instead of putting a Star Wars movie or a Marvel movie or a Ninja Turtles movie, I put Blazing Saddles. I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, but it's a Mel Brooks movie. It's phenomenal. It's one of the best comedies of all time. Well, one of the nurses was at a garage sale over the weekend or over one weekend. And then Monday morning, she came in and gave it to me. She recognized that that was my favorite movie at a garage sale on her day off when she shouldn't be thinking about me, but she did. And that movie, that DVD is one of my prized possessions, not because of its market value, but because of the love and friendship it was given. And then the last thing I thought, the last question I asked for was, how could I give someone else, someone else a reason to be grateful? And I couldn't do much in the hospital. But when I did, when I was discharged, I started thinking about, well, I could pick up trash when I run. I can mow my neighbor's yard when they're gone or they need it mowed and they can't get to it. Or I can hold the door for someone. And I think holding a door for someone is so underrated because as we, you know, if there's nothing that else that we learned in the last, in the past two years, Letty, it's that. At any moment, someone could be having the worst day of their life. But if I can stop my day for a second and hold their hold a door open for them and let them know that I see them and I want to make their life a little bit better, then I want to do that because that costs me nothing to hold that door open. But for the recipient, it could be priceless. And when I practice tag, as I call it, the, the attitude of gratitude, I not only found that it not only increased my gratitude and my positivity, but also my resilience. And since my discharge, I have started running again. And since that discharge, I have now set four, set or tied four personal lifetime running records in the 5K, the 10K, the 10 mile and a half marathon. And I'm now training to qualify for the Boston Marathon by 2030. But I, I feel that I can deal with that. If I can, if I can overcome NF and have this positivity, 
I, you know, I can do it. And I've also become a professional speaker. And I've become a speaker because I want to share the message of tag with others and let them know that you, yes, life is not perfect, but I want you to pass on perfection and go for greatness because the pursuit for perfection is futile. But if you work every day on your craft or your hobbies and you are diligent in your practice and you persevere through the hard times, you might reach great. You might, you might reach perfection once in a while, but you will always be great. And no, my life is still not perfect. All right. I have these skin grafts that, you know, make it really hot under my, on, on, on my right side. I can't reach hundred percent. So, you know, I can't straighten my arms out. So my, my volleyball block is shot. All right. But I accept that. I accept where I am at and I am thankful for everything I have. And I let others know that I'm thankful for them. And I give others a reason to be grateful so we can play tag and pass that feeling along so we can make the world a more grateful, more positive and more resilient place. I love this. I, I love so much about what you shared about um, the silver lining of things, right? How a smile can go a long way because you don't know that if your smile that you gave to one person is the only smile they've seen for, for days, for a week. And exactly. then the fact that you were able to remove yourself out of this headspace when you had all the excuses in the world to be negative, to feel less than, to be and continue that lifestyle. But instead, you chose to not only point out the big things that are great, but also go for the little things. And then now you are doing great things for other people. But more than that, you're spreading this message of positivity, which is so there's not a lot of it here in this world. And so it's yes. really cool that you are able to take yourself out of that situation and, and spread like that. So with all that said, how do you advise other people? How do we get there? How do we get to that place when we're already in a bad mood and things aren't going our way? It's easy to say, oh, just look at the bright side. But how do we really get there? Well, first of all, we have to realize that whatever the challenging situation is, Letty, that is our origin story. As I said before, I'm a huge comic book geek. And when I speak, I talk about how we all have an origin story. That doesn't mean we all have superpowers. For example, Batman doesn't have superpowers, but he definitely has an origin story that we're all familiar with. So we look at that situation that we're facing. And I don't, when I look, when I think about myself, I don't sugarcoat anything. I can't forget the fact that a quarter of my body cannot sweat. I can't forget that I'm missing a muscle in my leg. I can't forget that I, I look like a zombie in training or a, an extra from the walking dead when I take off my shirt. All right. I, I can't, I can't lie to myself about that. So I have to be honest, but at the same time, I can't forget all the other things that I have. And so, yes, I do count the things that I have going on for me, but I think it's going deeper into, okay, what is not only what do I like having, but what is helping me on my every day? Like, remember I mentioned my mouse, my beat up uh, duct taped mouse. All right. 
I don't think of, you know, I don't use my mouse all the time, but I'm still thankful for it. Even when I don't, I'm not using it. I have tools in my storage room that I don't use all the time, but when I need them, I'm thankful for them. I have, you know, downstairs, I'm not on my treadmill right now, but when I, when it's raining and I need to get a workout in, it's there for me. And it's so it's recognizing all that you have around you, whether it's a cowbell, you know, that you need to take to a race or to a parade, or it's, you know, it's, you know, your, uh, your phone cord, you know, that you need to charge your phone. It's just appreciating everything you have in your life without needing more. Because I think it's that, that yearning for more that leads people down that path of retail therapy that they will never quench. It's appreciating what you have now that can help you develop that gratitude and that positivity. Because I found that when I was in that hospital bed and I was thinking about all those things that Becky told me people were doing for us, I started seeing things in a whole new light. I saw, okay, well, I have this arm that is covered in this giant cast. I still have an arm. All fingers work. They're going to, you know, they, I have this stand here that is going to do the job for me. So I get, so I can now think about if, you know, if my arm works, not, not think about if my arm works, but think about when it, that cast gets removed, what can I do with it? And doctors told me that I should aim for, you know, feeding myself with my right arm. Becky didn't tell me that until much later in my hospitalization because she knew how I would react. Uh, but I can do full pull-ups. I can do any workout that anyone else can do with a fully functioning arm because I saw what I had and I wasn't worried about what I didn't have. Yeah, it's it's amazing how survivors of situations such as yours and other illnesses turn out coming out above all of us being more positive just because you're resilient. It can go two ways. Either you fall into that dark hole of depression and then hopefully you'll get out of it eventually, or you just make this sharp turn, it seems, and you inspire and you spread messages about how to do things better or how to be grateful just like you are. Yep. Thank you very much. So now you've mentioned you are hopefully going to Boston and uh, how is your leg and how is that affecting your daily life? You know, it does. My left leg does tire a bit sooner than my right does. I especially feel that on longer runs, like when I'm training for a half marathon, I feel that the left, you know, gets a little, gets a little more fatigued. It gets fatigued a little more quickly than the right. But honestly, I really don't think about it that much. It's, that's not what I'm really worried about. What I'm really worried about is being stupid when it comes to recovering from injuries, which I'm sure more than a few runners can, you know, can relate to because I so much want to get out there and I, I really want to push my body, but I have learned through trial and error and error and error, the value of patience. And so 
Right now, I even I'm dealing with a little uh, issue with a uh, plica syndrome in my right knee, and uh, it has to deal with the uh, the plica is a I'm probably gonna get this wrong, and your uh, you know your viewers your listeners will probably uh, let me know about this, but it's a it's like a film or a uh, fabric you know like a, that goes over your uh, your kneecap, and mine has gotten impinged underneath the kneecap and it's now irritated. And so we're trying to work through that with some uh, different therapies. And at the same time, I'm also a U14 boys soccer coach who sometimes can't find himself uh, fighting the urge to get on the pitch to play with the boys. And so, you know, I get, so it's a struggle to rein in the horses uh, but, you know, I, that's why I'm giving myself until 2030 to qualify for Boston, because, you know, I, I want to make sure I take care of these injuries, even though I occasionally am not very smart about it, but I'm, I'm getting smarter though. I have to say <laughs> that I have grown. It's a learning process for all of us, especially with, uh, you know, running and just you mentioning this injury you have with your knee, it's yet another injury a lot of people probably have never heard about. So we should all be grateful because if we have one day of running without pain, we should just look at ourselves and be like, there are all these injuries that I could have and I don't even have them. Yes, yes, indeed. And, you know, for a number of years, it's been hamstrings for me. And, you know, that's, you know, um, and so I, I've worked through those. I've been really smart about those. So I just have to remember to be smart, be patient, be thankful for everything I have. And just keep doing the best that I can every day. Yes, yes. And thank you so much then um, for, for coming on and speaking with us. And for our listeners, could you please let us know where and how we can find you in case somebody wants in to get in touch with you? Certainly. And once again, Lady, I greatly appreciate Lady, I appreciate your time and your, uh, your generosity well, with this podcast. So people can reach out to me at chrisdtgordon.com. That's my website. So Chris DT Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N.com. You can find me on Facebook at Chris DT Gordon, on uh, Instagram at Chris DT Gordon, LinkedIn, Chris DT Gordon. My podcast is called Scar Bearers. And uh, you can, the, the, uh, the thumbnail is me holding my arm up like this. You can see the right side. You can see all my scars. So it's, you can pick me out of a lineup. And you can find that on Apple, Google, Spotify, all the major podcast places. And if you do go to chrisdtgordon.com, you can find all those um, other venues, but you can download a free tag one sheet, which you can use to inspire yourself to practice tag on your own. But I would love to hear from people who want to start a conversation about me sharing the message of TAG, the attitude of gratitude with young people. I'm starting to work on uh, you know, a, a presentation for businesses and corporations. As a, as a veteran online teacher, I am well-versed with presenting through Zoom or virtually, but I also love being in front of people and doing live presentations as well. So yes, please reach out to me. And if you want to email me, it's chris at chrisdtgordon.com. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. 
Thank you, Chris, so much for coming on and speaking with us. I absolutely love your enthusiasm for life and it's contagious. We love your voice because it's very inspiring. I feel like I need to record you and put you in my alarm clock so I will get up in the morning. <laughs> There may be a market for that. Like you could have somebody that has a good voice that is very motivating. You could have like an alarm clock and it just cycles through like thousands of different motivational like phrases and so every time every time it's like time to wake up a new phrase comes out <laughs> it'd be kind of interesting <laughs> ryan yeah say no more <laughs> this could be an app that we are about to make so. <laughs> i feel like chris's voice is perfectly made for that so that's cool so chris again thank you and hopefully we will hear from you in the future and work on some other projects with you so anything else ryan anything fun planned for this weekend any more runs because supposedly you're training for that 5k yeah training meaning just running when i have time and feel like it so ryan's running training for a 5k really. is comprised of i think this week he ran a three miler Um, which is better than, you know, <laughs> the alternative before. So we'll see uh, if he comes up with a new PR. We're yeah. doing it for fun, I agree. All right, runners, we're wishing you a great weekend. And until next time. Happy running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.